Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Greg. <laughs> I, uh, Lord, open my eyes for a really cool thing. And, uh, was it the second to last song that was Great I Am? What was the second to last one? Here again. Okay, I think it was that one. I think it was that one. Here again. But um, I looked up, and in the balcony, it, he, he allowed me to see Jesus. And there have only been a few times I got to see him. I get to see details. And um, it's just really cool. It's overwhelming. But he had a big smile on his face. And that was really cool. Let's just pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. Lord, we come here hungry for you. I give my hands, I give my feet, my mouth, my will. Every piece of me, Father, I give to you. To be a vessel that you can use however you wish. I ask that my thoughts are your thoughts. That none of my own even sneak in. But Father, you know my prayer. This is, this is not a new prayer for Sunday mornings. This is a prayer every moment of my life. Because I don't want to just... Pray your spirit on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night. I want it to be always. I want to literally be lost in you. I can't even find me anymore. That's the true essence of being in you. That is what we ask for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you guys hear me? All right. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I didn't mean to ask. I meant to ask Alexis how it went this morning because both of us uh, last night on the prayer call, um, I prayed. And, and um, it was interesting because typical of what he does with me, he just doesn't tell me. Um, and he might give me a hint here and there, and he might tell me by the time I get up to the podium here. Um, and that, that's a little bit of a new thing for Alexis, and, and I know he, he's bringing her to that place as well. And I, I meant to ask what he gave you this morning, but I guess I'll find out. But what, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. But what the Lord has laid on my heart is this idea of denying yourself. What does that really mean? You know, we've heard that. In fact, let's, let's turn. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. I think it's verse... Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is where Jesus is talking. Talking to... His disciples and talking to the group following him. 
Verse 23 begins and says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's just stop there for a second. To take up his cross daily. First of all, to deny ourselves, what does that mean? It it, it means to deny the very things that make us us. That is a very un-American statement. (laughs) Right? Because in America, no, it's about individuality. It's about you being you and who you are and everything else. And, and And I'm not saying not to be who you are. I'm saying be who God is making you to be. There's a difference. There's a difference. And the difference is in a single paradigm. And this is the heaviest thing that he has been laying on my heart all week. And, I don't know, for months, I suppose. And that paradigm is how we look at our relationship, how we look at our life, how we walk in our daily carrying of our own cross. Do we look at it through the lens of what happens to me? What happens to my family? Or do we look at it through the lens of what you want, God? Because let me tell you something, there's a big difference. When you look at it through the lens of your own needs, your own lack, you're going to look at it through a lens of lack. It will all be lack. Because anything that is in you, remember your, your, your fallen flesh, anything that is in you is supposed to die. It is supposed to die in this relationship with the Father. So what does that mean when we get lost in denying ourselves? It says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself Take up your cross daily. That means each day we're waking up and we're saying, God, I want what you want. I want what you want. I don't want to even recognize the lack that I think I have. The lack of provision. The lack of a job. The lack of a relationship. The lack of sometimes anything good in our minds. Sometimes we go through a time in our lives where, God, can I just see one thing good? Just one. And by the way, if you sincerely ask that, and not ask it, you know, kind of as a jab, if you sincerely ask that, guess what he's going to do? He's going to open up your eyes and he's going to let you recognize the good. Because oftentimes the good is in what he is doing. What he's doing through that sifting. We've talked about this many times. We are in a time of sifting. Many in here are being sifted. What does that mean? They're being tried by fire. I don't know about you, but you go stick your hand in the fire and it's going to hurt. It's going to burn. It's difficult. We don't do that on purpose. That's why we don't sift ourselves. If God left it up to us to sift ourselves, we'd never sift. Right? 
course, we'd never choose that. We would never choose that. That's why he just wants our yes, because in our yes, we do choose it. We say, yes, Lord, I want relationship with you. So I say, do whatever you need to do. If you need to kill something in me that I am not denying daily, then do it. Do it. Death is a painful thing. Let's continue on. Verse 24. For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does that mean? I remember when, you know, growing up and even teaching the Word of God as, as a younger man and stuff, I used to think, okay, I don't even understand that. That's, that's kind of like salesman double talk to me. Right? It's like, that doesn't make sense. Until you begin to understand what real life is. What is real life? Is it the breath in our lungs? Is it the blood coursing through our veins? Is that real life? Or is real life absence of the servanthood to that flesh? Remember, we're born into this rotted flesh, this sinful flesh. We are slaves to this sinful flesh, the Bible says. But yet, when we accept Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters of the King. So, in breaking free from the boundaries of this sinful flesh, it requires to die. Why shouldn't it require the same thing of us, death to something, that it required for Jesus Christ? See, it required him on the cross to die for your sins, to die for my sin. It required him to die, to give up his perfect flesh. See, he wasn't born into sinful flesh like we are. He was born into perfect flesh because he was not born of man. He was born of a virgin. But even with that, he was to give up his flesh and die. So why do we assume that we can build this intimacy with him, build this great calling that he kind of lets us know ahead of time to say, look, this is, this is what I want to do with you, but you've got to be here for me to do it. So, so why do we think that we can get there without dying? Yeah, we've got to die. And I'm not talking about a physical death because he already paid that. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to the physical flesh that rules us before we are saved. And by the way, guess what? It doesn't stop ruling us when we get saved. That, that is a really difficult heresy that's out there. And by the way, it's believed by many Christians, and I know I'll get emails about this, because I know many that believe this, that once you're saved, you, you can't sin. Because, see, we're, we're, we're now born in God. We can't sin because the Bible says that we are no longer of that flesh. We're sons and daughters. 
Well, here's the thing. They're not separating justification and sanctification. And that's a really important thing to understand. Just because you accept Jesus Christ into your heart does not mean you have relationship with Him. Just because I have a ring on my finger where I married my wife does not mean I have relationship with her. If you don't believe me, go over to Iran. Go over to some of these places where they choose the spouse and they don't oftentimes even know each other until marriage. So does that ring, does that certificate, does that bond become a relationship? No, it does not. It's a commitment, but it's not a relationship. The relationship has to be birthed. It has to be worked on by both sides, because that's what a relationship is. It can't be just God working on it for you. It has to be you laying your cross, or laying down, denying yourself daily, taking up your cross. So those who would try to save their lives will lose them. I used to think this was talking about salvation, like justification. It's not at all. It's not at all. It's talking about this idea of relationship with with the Father through Jesus Christ. You can't even have it if your focus is on yourself. You can have portions of it. You could come and you can worship with everybody else and you can feel something. Why? Because his presence has effect. Why do you think so many Christians, it break, breaks my heart, so many Christians are Sunday morning and Wednesday night or whatever Christians, and more times than not, Sunday morning, period. Why? Because they go there and they get this feeling And the worship was really good, and and they get this feeling because they can feel perhaps God beckoning them. But then throughout the week, absence of a relationship, they don't know how to get that. They don't know how to feel it. They start to focus on, okay, well, I'm doing something wrong. I need my list of things to do so that way I can be close to Him. And see, that's the direction the church has gone. If you don't believe me, it's not just legalistic churches. It's not just fundamental, independent Baptist churches like I grew up in. Because both sides, if you want to call it that, charismatic versus an untraditional legalist, whatever, whatever you call it, both sides have their same issue where they look at the list of things to do instead of looking at the person to be doing them with. And that's what he wants. See, Jesus never said, go figure this out, come back to me when you got it figured out. No, he said, take my hand. See, it's through me, I'm going to teach you how to have relationship with the Father. Why? Because I learned it. Because when I chose to become a man, and I'm speaking for Jesus in case you didn't catch that. When I chose to become a man, I had to learn how to have relationship with him again, even though we had pure relationship before I became a man. I decided, decided to take on this flesh and to have to learn that relationship all over again through the process of faith. 
And in that process of faith, I understood relationship. And I grew close to Him. Close to where I was in Him and He was in me. Why did Jesus do that? Because He paved a way for us. See, we can look at His life and we can't just... We, we don't need to just look at his life and say, well, he's God. Of course he can do that. He didn't do it as God. The relationship he built with the Father here on earth was not done because he was God. He did it as a man. He did it as a man because he showed us we could have the same thing. See, his physical life was not important to him. Clearly. Because he gave it. But even while he was alive, I mean, good night. Look at some of the things he did. Look at some of the things he said. If he was concerned about his physical life, then he probably shouldn't have said some of those things. And been offensive to the very people that could kill him. And it's just, it's so cool. Because some of the most offensive times, then you see him just get out. Lord just takes him out. Right? Offense, offense, offense. Where'd Jesus go? We're just going to kill him. Lord took him out. Why? Because he wasn't concerned about his life. He was more concerned about his relationship with the Father and the Father working through him how the Father wanted to. That's what he was concerned with. And because of that, through faith, he gained that relationship. Showed us how. See, we could do the same thing. Why? Because he wasn't God when he did it. He showed us how to do it as a human being, as a person. The only thing that was different is Jesus had, his flesh was not fallen, ours is. Now that's a huge difference. That's why you can't do it in your flesh. That's why when he died, he paid for the sins of our flesh. Which literally leveled the playing field. So that you could build the relationship with the Father the same way he did. Because he took care of the part that he did not have in himself. As the perfect sacrifice. You see, do you see what I'm saying? Do you follow what I'm saying? So in this, if you try to save your life because you are concerned with your life, you're going to lose it. Now let's, let's look at that for a second. Don't just automatically assume like physical life and death here. I think it goes so much deeper than that. It says if, you're cons- if you are more concerned... It says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's talking about your wants. That's talking about your desires. That's talking about what you feel is owed to you. Well, you know, I should have a a good job. I mean, it's owed to me. I live in America. I should have that. I should have a good house. I should have a good car. I should have this, I should have that. It's almost like I'm entitled to it, I have a right to it. 
That's what it's talking about when it said whoever would save his life. If you begin to focus on your life as a Christian, if you begin to focus on what you want, what you need, you're taking it all out of his hands. And by the way, it doesn't mean you don't need them. It doesn't mean you don't need them. I was talking to somebody this morning that, that said to me, you know, the Lord's been telling us that, that we're to take this portion of money that we're making and we're to put it towards something that he's telling us to put it. And I don't know how to, you know, it, it's not like he's saying, don't worry, I got this other check coming. He just said, do it. So they're going to do it. See, it's with the faith of saying, God, it's your problem, not mine. It's your problem, not mine. I'll just be obedient and I'll do what you tell me to do because I know you know what I need, but more than that, you know what I want. Do you think that he doesn't want to give you good things if you don't, you don't know your, your Bible at all? He said, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? He gave me that red truck. And by the way, I believe this with my whole heart. He allowed Satan to take it. Because now I'm going to get it with a new engine. Paid for by Satan. He knows. Do I need the truck? No, I don't. Do I desire the truck? Yeah, absolutely. So see, as we lay down our life and deny ourselves daily, it's not about this. Oh my goodness. I feel so sorry for those who think this physical denying of themselves brings on a righteousness. You know what I'm talking about. Now, if it's directed by God, totally different. If it's directed by God, do it. And, and by the way, there, there are people that we know that, that live like that. I know, I know Brian, I'll hear this. Brian is one of those people. Because I know the Lord told him, simplify your life. Get it to where everything in your life is about listening to me. That's what he's done. He's done that in obedience. It's different. You ever see those monks that, that go and they live on top of a mountain somewhere and they deny themselves of everything? They've, I'm pretty sure one set of clothes, right? They don't talk to people. They feel anything external in their lives is God will not allow God won't work through them in that way, right? So they, they deny themselves so they can have this piety of saying that I am denying myself, therefore I am righteous. Oh, it's so sad. I just want to buy them a meal. Take them to Applebee's. I don't know. Maybe get them a hat or something. You know, it, it, they, they're missing the whole boat. They're missing the whole boat because it's not about, it's not about what you do in terms of some list of things you give up. 
See, you're supposed to give up everything. Right? You don't choose what to give up. And part of what you have to give up is your will. So the Father then can tell you what needs to be given up and what he's going to provide you with. Guess what? Some people, he will provide with multitudes of things, of money. I mean, different members of the body have different callings. So he may put into somebody's life that, that I, I'm going to bless you with this business. I'm going to bless you with, with this income. If it, is it for the purpose of your blessing? No, it's for the purpose of his will. He knows what we need. So it's not the, for the purpose of needs. He will always give us our needs. He has said that. But we're to lay our life down, take our cross up daily. Those who would save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And in this this last verse, verse 26, is just tough. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Now, thank you, Lord, that he gives us a process to work through that. Because he's talking about when he comes back in in victory, comes back in triumph. That's what this life is all about, guys. It's about building that relationship so we understand what it means to lose our life for him. To give our life for him. So we're laying our treasures up in heaven and not here. Has no nothing to do with the physical aspect of what he does here. Because a rich person versus a poor person, it's the same thing for both. It is still laying our desires at his feet. Laying our needs at his feet. Laying our wants at his feet. And just saying, I want my wants to be your wants. See, when we do that, we do gain our lives. I I can tell you from personal experience. Right? I, I was in business most of my life. And I know what it means to be in business. I know what it means to have, you know, four times the bills than you have the sales for. I know what it means to have that. I also know what it means to have abundance from being in business. I understand that too. But do you understand that neither one of those matters to God? What matters to Him is that He wanted me to give it to Him from the get-go. He wants you to give everything that you are to Him in this relationship because there is a moment in time where what you do in this life will make a difference for the next. And we've, lost, we've talked about that before. And I'm not sure what's here, but he wants me to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're just going to read here. 
Hmm. That's interesting. Verse 10 is what we were just talking about. From, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, by the way, the Bema Seat of Christ is, is not the great white throne judgment. The Bema Seat of Christ is where all those who are saved will go before. Okay, that's different than the great white throne judgment where, where people are judged for what they did because they are not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just keep reading down. Uh, let's just start at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died, by the way, he's speaking to Christians here. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who might, who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, he's trying to get us to understand that, that when we accept the free gift of salvation or justification, it does come with a cost. The justification doesn't. But the sanctification does. The relationship does. It comes at a cost. It comes at a cost where it says... He died for those that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But that we might live for Him. He's saying that I might live for Him because He's the one who paid for me to live. Does that make sense? And yet we get bogged down in our day-to-day things. Wow, Satan's so good at that. And, and we can look at this from an intellectual standpoint all day and be in agreement. But from a heart standpoint, when you wake up in the morning and you have choices throughout the day to choose Him over your own flesh, that's where it makes the difference. That's where you deny yourselves. And, and sometimes it's really hard to figure that out. You ever wake up in the morning with a terrible headache? Most have. I mean, Carson's been having them for a few days now. Just really, really bad migraines. You know, but think about it. If you wake up in the morning with with these terrible headaches, you wake up in the morning, it, it just kind of affects your entire day. It affects the decisions you make. It affects what you decide to do. Right? So take that and apply that to thinking through the lens of you versus the lens of Christ. If I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking through the lens of me, 
then I'm going to make decisions throughout the day that are going to be based on what I think I need or what I think I'm not getting or what I think is owed to me. And sadly, that is very much an American way of thinking. You know, it's, it's, it's such a great country. And the individuality and all that, all that's, all that's great. But it also fights against, that independence fights against, those paradigms fight against what it means to give your life for Christ. And those are the paradigms we have to fight. Let's keep reading. From now on, therefore, we, reg- we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creature. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new, if, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is in Christ. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Then he goes into, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God literally making his appeal through us. Literally appealing to the world through us. That last verse, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such a powerful statement because we don't live up to it. We can't in our own flesh live up to it. And yet all of us, I I think all of us would understand these lists that we live by. I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. Or flip side, I do this, I do this, and I do this. Those are all good things. Or can be good things. But where's the foundation of where they're coming from? Are they coming from a thought process of laying down your life and him telling you what to do and building relationship with him? Or are they coming from a place of, well, if I do this, then I'm, I'm, I'm in the group, I think. And if I do these ten things, then I, I get to be in the group at church. You know, they'll, they'll all think that, you know, it, that's kind of how I see everybody else, so they'll all think that. That's, it's just a, it's just a tough thing. And th- this concept of denying yourself until you know who you are, that's a very difficult thing to do. You know, one of the toughest things when we talk to people about Jesus Christ, one of the toughest things when we, when we do any kind of deliverance, when we do any kind of court things, the toughest thing is getting somebody to understand how God looks at them. Am I right? 
For them to understand how much he loves them. How much he values who they are. So much so that he gave his son. You know, this last Wednesday, we had uh, just some very powerful court sessions. And I won't tell you about the sessions, but I will tell you about something that happened in them. Because you've heard before, we've had witches saved, right? In court sessions, we've had them saved outside of court sessions. This one was a little bit different. Because this is a witch that we have seen for going on probably a year and a half. Right around there, would you say, about that? He is in many of the court sessions that that we have done. In fact, probably all or most of the court sessions where there were witches involved. We we didn't know who he was. We just uh, uh, kind of, I always kind of thought of him as the witch lawyer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, because that's what he would do. He would come and, and if witches would mouth off to God, he'd make them shut up. Literally. So God didn't strike them down. You know, I mean, he, he would he would do that. So so that's kind kind of was our thinking, and he would represent them, if you will. He is a human. He is a witch. He is not. He's not a demonic spirit. He is a human, and and we had seen him for about a year and a half, and we knew that he was going to be at this court session. We knew that this court session was going to involve heavy witchcraft, and. And so, well, I won't tell, a, a few parts I can't really tell, but um, when he did, when he was in the court, and it was very interesting because he came for a different purpose. He came, I don't even know why he came. I know he wanted to make a statement, and, and he was never allowed to um, because we kept him to the very end. And at the very end, See, the Lord kept telling me, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine. Now, I knew he wasn't the Lord's yet. I mean, this guy's about as far from saved as you could get. But the Lord kept saying, he's mine. And I said, Lord, show me his heart. Show me his heart. And so as we got to the end, I called him to the stand and... Because I was doing the questioning, I commanded that him not speak. He wasn't allowed to speak. He was only allowed to answer questions. And then I asked the father if I could do something that was on my heart that I didn't want to say out loud unless the father allowed it. And the father did. And then I commanded the demonic spirits that were in him to be taken out and put in what we call the queue. It's, it's where all the witnesses wait. So they were separated from him. And the Lord said, yes, I did that. And they, they did. They, they were separated from him. And that was very painful for him. But then he was on his knees. And I asked, if I, could, I asked the father if I could address him directly. He said yes. And I began to tell him about Jesus. Now, he knows who Jesus is. He's seen him probably a lot more than we have. But I was telling him about Jesus' love for him. I was telling him about the Father's love for him and how much 
love is different than the competition that he lives in. And he looked at me and he screamed. Then why did God take my son? See, he had blamed God for taking the life of his son. And that's why he gave his life to Satan in witchcraft. I told him, you know, I guess all the typical things. I said, God didn't take your son. Satan did because Satan is who brought sin into the world through man. And that sin is what causes death. And I could just see he had a rage. He, he just, he was upset for this reason why he couldn't believe in God because God took his son. And I said to him at the beginning, I said, you have a choice right now. The reason those demonic spirits are over in the queue is so you can have a clear moment without anything telling you what to do. You'll have a moment of clarity, and this is your chance. It's it's probably your last chance. And so we're talking back and forth, and then, then the Father just put these words in my mouth. Because it wasn't what I was thinking. And I looked at him and I said, I don't understand what it means to lose a son. I've never lost a son. I, I don't know what it feels like. I said, but the God you hate, he knows what it feels like. Because he gave his son, in fact, for your life. And it was at that point that just broke him. That broke him. And he, he became right there to where he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And, and I won't go on with the story. There was a lot more we... We found out about it. But what he had to understand was that the love of the Father was not to take, but literally who he served is who took from him. Now to move forward, it is understanding who he is now in Jesus Christ. That's no different than us. We have to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. What our calling is in Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Because chapter 8 tells us who we are in Christ. Starts out, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Then go down. Go down to verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
See, when you got saved, you were no longer to live in your flesh. You were no longer to live in what you think you're supposed to get or what you're supposed to need. You are to live in the Spirit. I'm just going to close in this. I, I, I don't have anything else. But it's a choice. It's a choice. Man, God has been presenting choices with us. These choices, they're, they're not, they're black and white, guys. They're black and white choices. They're yes and no choices. These are not, I can give God a little bit of my life. These are, he wants everything. See, that's what the line in the sand is for the bride. What do you think, what do you think hot versus cold and lukewarm means? That lukewarm is giving him a little piece of your life or giving him pieces of your life. And, and may, okay, maybe, maybe next week I'll give another little piece. And I'm here to tell you that's not how it works. That, that's not how it works anymore. Because this line that he's drawing in the sand is the very lukewarm that he's going to spit out of his mouth. A good word for it is duplicity. He's not going to accept duplicity anymore. Where we live one way at church, or we live one way in front of people, and we live another way in our heart of hearts. And I'm not even talking about some secret sin. I'm talking about your heart's desire. See, you can do good things and it still not be profitable for you. Well, you know, I stay away from these things and I just fill my, my, my life with good things and, and, you know, everything's real controlled and it's all good. You know what? That's fine if God's controlling it. It's not fine if you are. That's lukewarm. I don't know what it's going to be, what it would be like to be spit out of his mouth. But I can't imagine that's going to be something that I would want. And the line in the sand is here. He keeps talking about it over and over again. But this is also the key to relationship. If you want a relationship with him to work, you better get yourself out of the way. You have to. It, it, it all goes back to the very mantra of who we are. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the rest he'll take care of. So what does it mean to seek him? It means to deny yourself and take up your cross. Not taking up his cross. He already bared the burdens of us. So we take up a much lighter cross. But we still have to take it up. It means every day saying to him, my life is yours. I wake up this morning, my life is yours. What, whatever you want me to do today, Lord. I want to build a relationship with you that those things, that voice becomes more and more clear. So the enemy's voice fades out. By the way, you know it works that way. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more you build relationship with Him. I'm telling you, it's not hard to discern the voices. It's not. 
What I have found is, it doesn't mean that all, all of a sudden you just know everything you're supposed to do. No, the Lord still takes my feet. He says, I'm not going to tell you the next step, but I will place your foot there. But see, I know it's his voice because the enemy's voice sounds different to me. It doesn't, doesn't it, 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 his spirit is in connection with my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and a different spirit that would try and speak into that would not connect if I'm seeking him. If I am in relationship with him, then there is going to be a disconnect there if the enemy is speaking to you. And and by the way, that is a process. It is a process because I went through a process of, is this the Lord's voice or is this not the Lord's voice? And okay, yeah, no, that was not the Lord's voice. So there is a process you go through to learn that. It's not a on or off thing. But in that process of building relationship, you do. You can get there. How do I know that? Because Jesus did. Because Jesus did, and he said I could do everything he could do. In fact, he said I would do more. If, if I let him, I would do more than he did. Why? Because we're doing it as a partnership now. He already paved the way. One who plows, when you're building a road, you go in and you plow, you plow trees down, you plow everything out, you you prepare ground. See, that's what Jesus did. So those who come after him, they can lay the road. Then ones who come after that can can build the shops on the side of the road. Do Do you get that metaphor? He already plowed for us to have relationship with the Father. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. Lord, I I just don't know what else to say. I trust that your Holy Spirit move, move through Alexa's voice. Do what you want, Lord. Just do what you want in Jesus' name. Amen. really cool how God works. Um, He was talking about denying yourself and I wasn't feeling well and I'm so thankful for Jeff's prayer. He did the communion. Um, The Lord showed me, we did communion and the Lord showed me a few days ago the the visual and most of us have seen the passion of the Christ so we know the brutal beatings that, that Jesus took in his flesh but it was interesting he showed me the same thing that can we die to ourselves? Can we take can we be crucified in our flesh? But one other thing I just want to mention that was interesting to me that I felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me is it's not just material things. Don't apply today's message in a circumstantial or, or material way because um, some of the struggle that we have is that we in this country, we have a right, we feel we have a right to our emotions. We have a right to happiness. We have a right to be hurt. Because people hurt us. We have a right to be upset. We have a right to be angry because someone did X, Y, Z. And those things are very dangerous 
because they actually can have a weird payoff too. There is anger, bitterness, and resentment that can actually drive people to a personal monetary success in businesses because of the passion that a lot of those emotions incite. They're dark, but they drive people. I've heard so many different stories of people that in business that were driven and, and in really giving their personal testimony, they were actually driven by wanting to be sure that no one could ever keep them down again. They were resentful or hurt, hurt with uh, someone in their past, in their family, that tried to keep them down. So their whole drive for success was based on a resentment and a hurt. And so those are things we have to give to the Lord also. Those are the dangerous things. Sometimes you can deny everything in your circumstances, but yet if you're holding on to emotions that you think you have a right to, um, it can really distort um, where your relationship is. And they are very difficult. Nobody on its face would think they would want to hold on to those things. But Satan knows there is a, a bizarre payoff. Uh, there, that's why they, they say love and hate are so connected. Because they can have the same reaction of passion. One dark and one light. But the same kind of passion connected. And so even our inside heart motives have to be dead to what Jesus wants. Um, it's not about the outward do-goodism of surrender that, like Greg said, can look like what everybody else is doing or look like what it is. But it really is that inside heart um, issue. And God will use our circumstances to bring forth some of the motives of our heart that we don't see. We don't know what they are. He allows the pressure. That's what sifting is, by the way. Sifting is to shake up our lives, okay? If you've ever sifted the, the dry ingredients in, in a cake recipe or something, you know, it goes through the sifter, it shakes them all out. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's, it takes things and, and separates or connects in the, in the new process of sifting, and it changes it. And you don't always know what needs to, to be taken out without, without that pressure, so, um, but I, I think that if you ever feel like the Lord is, you know, or, or that the, the pastor is preaching the same type of message, the same reminder, or you feel like, wow, if I hear it, I think we're on the number five or 6,000 times you hear the word relationship. Know that the Holy Spirit is on purpose giving us this emphasis because he's going to do it until we get it. At the point that we get it, something more will be released. And I was thinking about 40 years that Jeremiah preached and gave warning and told the people what was so important. Now, sadly, they still didn't get it. And they paid the price. But what God wants for us here, you know, sometimes he, the Lord just clearly leads him to say the same thing over and over again the choice and it's coming and it's coming and um you know we either get it or we don't but that's the sad thing is that if you if you don't get it the consequences are um are going to be grave and jeremiah was very much rejected for that message and people just got tired of it and you know you read the book of jeremiah it's, it's an interesting place i think you were saying you were in that for a long time but but know that that if something is being repeated over and over it is for a purpose it is for a purpose. So you've got to open your heart, let him go even deeper and deeper and deeper. If you ever find yourself rolling your eyes or going, oh, yada, yada, okay, relationship, that's probably a really clear indication that it's needed again and again and again. 
because he, he is, he is wanting us to get it. And, um, I, uh, I know that the Lord has shown me so many different things. And even in, um, you know, in areas of just little things, like he told me the other day, um, when I was wrestling with him, just with the surrender of, of finances and, and the things that, that we're going through, many of you can relate to that type of thing and having to quit your job and taking these steps of faith. And, and, and so I was wrestling with him a little bit, not, not even a wrestle, but kind of a, okay, you want, cause he asked me to give, to give more, a lot more than I was giving in a particular instance. And I, I, I found myself hesitant and he immediately said, don't be greedy. Do you know that when you don't give, when you hold on to what you have and think that you can't part with it, it's greed. It's idolatry. And I was kind of like, well, that's kind of harsh, Lord. But he said, but that's the point. I mean, when I, what is idolatry? It's worshiping the things of this life and thinking that we somehow have to hold on and grasp and grab. And we don't let go. Well, there can even be greed in internal things. If you think that you need to hold on to your control, hold on to your fear, Holding on to fear, which manifests in control, has a payoff. You actually think you have a temporary control of your life, which is an illusion, but you actually can be deceived and believe that. And Jeff said it a while back, um, but it's just so true, and others have said it as well, but that fear is the the number one way that Satan gets in to the vast majority of believers. He enters through some form of fear, because fear doesn't always manifest as somebody being afraid in an obvious way. It manifests in very sneaky ways, but the root of it is fear. So those are the things we need to surrender to. And the payoff is huge. So even though it sounds like you're dying, you're dying, you're dying, but you're what? Risen to new life in him. Praise God. I want his life. I want his mind. I want his blessings. I want him to uh, really just take me over. Because the more he shows me my old dead carcass of my old life, why do I want to go back to something dead? Something that, that's, that I don't even want to see anymore. I want to press forward toward the mark of the high calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, think about today as we, um, some of you are going to be on the prayer walk. And uh, this is a, a really huge opportunity to carry, as Jeff said during communion. You know, you carry the answer. You carry your, your kingdom carriers. And when you pray for people, the Holy Spirit right now it has divine appointments set for those going. Some of us on the prayer walk, some of us in other meetings, in other ways. Remember, what you carry, be ready. The Holy Spirit's going to direct you to exactly who he has prepared for you to speak with, to pray over. Um, you may find that you're praying healing or encouragement or giving the gospel to somebody in an unrelated place that you might not ever have expected. Maybe you're picking up food after church today, and, and wherever that may be, just know that um, you know the gospel is, is huge. It's just huge, and that's kind of where the Lord had me in the ladies' class. But be in prayer specifically for the prayer walk, 